Welcome to The Drop, the official podcast of the 130th Airlift Wing. I'm Master Sergeant Dewan Haley. The month of October is recognized as Breast Cancer Awareness Month. According to the American Cancer Society, breast cancer is the most common cancer diagnosed among U.S. women. Joining me today are two people that we at the 130th all know, Beth Melton and her husband, Chief Master Sergeant Scott Melton. Over the past year, Beth has fought the disease and the Meltons are here to tell us about their journey. So first off, I want to say thank you for being on the show. And um, for those who don't know you, I just want you all, both of you, to um, tell us about yourself. Go ahead, honey. Uh, well, as you said, my name is Beth Melton. I'm the Airmen and Family Readiness Program Manager here at the 130th. Um, I have been with my husband since 1993, so I've been around this culture long before I ever came to work here. We have three kids, um, Abigail, Isabel, and Caleb, all teenagers. So, um, and we're members of Gateway Christian Church in St. Albans. Well, you said most of the personal stuff, but I'll just say the military stuff for myself. Chief Master Sergeant Melton, been in 22 years in the West Virginia Air National Guard. Uh, I'm now the uh, A1 Chief in State Headquarters. I'm also the Military Personal Management Officer full-time. Um, and uh, I love this unit. Um, personally, been with my wife, oh gosh, 20 years marriage, I guess, coming up in December. So um, we've been together quite a long time. So, And you said talked about the kids. So. Okay. so Beth, I want to start off with you. Um, so you had your cancer diagnosis a little over a year ago. Can you tell us a little bit about like the warning signs that you saw that made you say, oh, I might need to go get checked? So I actually had no warning signs um, <clears throat> that led up to me finding a lump. I did regular self-exams. It's very, very important for women to do that beginning actually in your teenage years. And it was something I had always done. Um, I did it on the 26th of every month because my birthday's on the 26th. So it was just easy for me to remember on that date to do an exam. And um, I had just done an exam a couple weeks prior and actually October 6th on Sunday of drill last year, um, I found a lump accidentally in my left breast, so it was not there two weeks before. And, um, and it was very close to the surface, which is how I found it, just completely accidentally. And I thought, well, that's really strange. And the big thing they tell you when you're doing self-exams is that if you fill it on one side, you should fill it on the other side. So, of course, I didn't fill it on the other side, and that led me to, to know I really probably just needed to get it checked. Um, I was still fairly young. I had just turned 40 in August, so I had never had a mammogram. And um, I came into work that day, and it was a really busy day. We had a retirement roundup that morning, and I had a couple briefings I had to do, and I met with some retirees. It was just a lot going on. And that afternoon, I finally made my way to Scott's office. It had just been there in the back of my mind all day long. And so I went into Scott's office and um, I shut his door and he was working at his computer, just really busy. And I said, um, hey, I, I need you to fill my boobs. And he whipped around real fast. And he goes, the great, yeah. greatest day of my life. Yeah, right. That's exactly what he said. He said, well, this is the greatest day yeah. ever. And I was like, no, seriously. You know, when somebody's spouse walks in their office and says that, especially a man, they're like, woohoo. Yeah. Um, but he, he did. I said, no, seriously, feel this. And I had him feel it. And I said, feel this side. He was like, I don't feel anything. And he said, you need to get that checked. 
And I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll call the doctor. And like most moms, you know, he was like, no, honey, would you put it off if it were the girls? That was the first thing he said to me. And I said, no, he said, I want you to call the doctor tomorrow. So I did. And uh, my appointment with her was October 22nd. And I um, had my mammogram and ultrasound on that Friday of that week, October 25th. And that was the day they told us that without pathology, um, that they could tell us it was at least a stage two breast cancer. So as far as early warning signs, there wasn't a lot um, because I had not had a mammogram. Um, and I did not feel that two weeks prior. Yeah. Okay. So what was your thoughts when um, she came in and I know we joke about that. Absolutely. But, and and I was just joking, yeah. but um, that it, there's no way it could be anything other than just, you know, some, something else. No way could it have been breast cancer. That's the last thing that goes through your mind uh, when you, you think about a family member. Um, but obviously going to get it checked and, you know, seeing what it could have been but um when the news obviously when the news came back and i was to be honest it was devastating um you know we you hear that c word you know and it just everyone knows someone related to someone you know knows a friend of a friend that has been affected by this disease and you know it, it kind of it's it's scary yeah um, a lot of us know people that have that have passed um and it just i don't know it's a lot of the unknown and uh, I just know that I was scared to death because, you know, I, I haven't been without this woman whew, for years. Yeah. And I, I don't want to think of, of, you know, of my life without her. So exactly. it was pretty scary. Yeah. So what was your thoughts when you first? Well, <clears throat> to be completely honest, um, it, you're a little bit scared, but you're kind of like, the, no, not me, yeah. you know. Um, I had a few minutes to process because when the doctor sent me for those tests, she said, I'm gonna order diagnostic mammograms and ultrasounds, which means I get extra photos. And then if you need a biopsy, we will call you and schedule a biopsy. So Scott had actually planned to go with me that morning and he had been really busy that week. I said, oh, don't go, they're just taking pictures. You can't even go back there. They're not gonna let you in the room while I'm having a mammogram. Um, so don't don't waste the leave and don't go. And um, so I went by myself. And it actually diagnostic means, in at least in Charleston at the cancer center, the radiologist reads it while you're still there in case they need additional imaging, and then they give you preliminary reports. So um, I was actually alone when they told me that they felt like it was a cancer based on what they saw in the imaging and um, the symptoms that, that the tumor was showing. So I did have a few minutes to kind of take a breath. And my first thought was, you know, like I said, uh, what, cancer, what, I'm, I'm 40, I'm healthy, there's no way. And then you kind of start to take it in and you're like, uh, wow. But I'll be honest, I'm kind of glad that I didn't have him with me because it gave me a chance to breathe and say, okay, now I'm going to tell him and how do we want to handle this? Because like I said earlier, we have three teenagers and they're at really fragile ages for something like this to, to come onto your family. Mm -hmm. So, um, but the news settled in pretty quickly. We actually didn't tell our kids anything until we had an official diagnosis. So on the 25th, it was a Friday, was when I had my initial imaging. On the 28th, I had a biopsy, my first biopsy. And um, that was the day they told us that without pathology, they could tell us it was at least a stage two cancer. 
and we chose after that to go ahead and start sharing with our family. We had actually kept it very quiet. We hadn't told our parents, we hadn't told anyone, because we didn't want to worry people unnecessarily. No reason to tell them if there was nothing to worry about. Did you want to share anything? Just, you sitting here saying that, I remember the phone call when you called me and, and told me, and I was, I was devastated, and I, I was, um, I, I can't believe I wasn't there with my wife. But nobody thinks they're going to get that news. Here I'm still thinking, oh, it's nothing. She's going to, you know, it's a bug bite. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know. I, nobody thinks they're going to get that news. But I will tell you this: after that day, I don't believe I missed another appointment in almost a year. Mm-hmm. I sat in the parking lot and waited on you during this COVID time for five, six hours when they wouldn't let a visitor. I mean, just, it's something you never want someone like this to feel alone. Right. And she knew that I was in that part. She's like, go home, come back and get me. I'm doing a chemo treatment. It'll be four hours. I'm like, no, I'm not leaving. Mm-hmm. I'll never, I'll never leave you again, especially after that day. So right. um, anyway, yeah. sorry, I wasn't there for that one. It was, I was on me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess a little bit of background about myself. My, um, my mother, her mom, um, actually passed from breast cancer when she was 13 years old and it just had a three-year-old um, child. So I know with you all having um, teenage teenage um, children, yeah, I know receiving that news is something that is difficult for them. So can you talk about a little bit about um, how they um, reacted and I'll, I'll let you answer this one but I know exactly how you're going to do it because I remember telling each one of them and your kids are so individualized and they handle everything differently and that's probably what she's going to tell you because I, I know exactly how you're going to explain it well we told all three of them at the same time um, you know we eat dinner together as a family on a very regular basis sometimes ball games get in the way or an evening church service or things like that but for the most part we sit down together and eat dinner every single night we can And so um, we had dinner that evening and we talked and it was a normal conversation. And you know, this is something you dread telling your kids because you know their life is about to be upended. And we had said before we even told the kids, our goal for this is that their life changes as little as possible. You know, we want their life to continue. Their life can't stop just because mom and dad, or especially mom is going through through this. Um, They still deserve to have a life in, in normalcy as much as possible. Um, of course, this was before COVID, so we really learned right. what normalcy uh, it doesn't exist. But um, so we sat down and had dinner together. And at the end of dinner, I said, all right, you know, Dad, and I want to talk to you all. And anytime you say that, the first question is, are we in trouble? <laughs> and we were like, no, you're not in trouble. But, um, you know, I, I found a lump. We were very honest with them about how it happened. And... Um, our youngest, our youngest, who's Caleb, he's 13, his first question was, are you going to die? And, you know, we answered it with it, well, we're all going to die. I don't plan on this killing me. I'm going to fight it as hard as I can. But, you know, you have to understand we're all going to pass away from something. However, we're going to do our best to not let breast cancer take mom right now. And then he wanted to know if I was going to lose my hair because he said he liked my curls. <laughs> and um, our, our middle child, Isabel, who's 14, she was just silent. She had absolutely nothing to say. And she just sat there with these sad, silent tears streaming down her face, but she said nothing. And of course, you know, sis, do you have any questions? Do you want to ask anything? Do you have anything to say? And she said, nope. 
And it, that kind of went on. And about a week and a half later, I would go in a room and check on her very frequently, you know, as as all of this kind of settled in. And about a week and a half, two weeks later, I went in and said, Belle, honey, you're going to have to talk about this at some point. We just can't brush it under the rug. And she said, Mom, talking about it makes it real. And I just don't want to do that. So I said, okay, well, when you're ready, you just know that Dad and I will answer anything or listen to anything you have to say. Our oldest, Abby, who um, was just shy of 17 at the time, has taken it the hardest. She um, cried a lot. She has, I don't want to say become clingy, but very, you know, what, what do you need, Mom? What can we do for you, Mom? You know, she's been playing in college. She's a senior this year, and now she doesn't want to go away to school. She wants to stay home because she's worried something's going to happen. And it has really, um, it's, it's been very hard on her, but she's the oldest. And, you know, her understanding of things, I would say, would, is, is a little better than the other two. So um, they've taken it all as kind of as it's come. Like I said, our goal has been for their life not to change too much. Um, when my diagnosis changed from a stage two breast cancer to a stage four metastatic cancer, when we found out the cancer had metastasized to the bones, um, that's changed a little bit as well uh, as far as the kids and, and their response. Uh, I don't want to say walking on eggshells, but they've been a little more scared. Right. You know, it's that that changes things. But again, our goal is just normalcy. We just keep living. We get up. We work. We go to school when you're allowed. We go to practice. We go to the grocery store. We go to church. We live as much as we can. And we live like we're living, not like we're dying. So um, that's kind of been their reaction. And, you know, at this point, especially with COVID and everything else, we're all just taking things one day at a time. Not just us, but everybody. I think it's one thing we didn't go over was the, um, was the, I mean, we went through the timeline of you getting the diagnosis, but the um, afterwards. Okay, so when we were initially diagnosed, we were told it was a stage two infiltrating ductal carcinoma, um, which means the cancer started in a duct, and it did go into the left axillary lymph system. So it traveled up into the lymph nodes under my left um, and in my, under my uh, underarm and my on the left side and um, the cancer was just on the left side it wasn't bilateral which you know it was only on the left and I actually went through 16 rounds of chemo I went through two surgeries uh, unlimited scans uh, biopsies I had two biopsies initially and um, my my cancer is a very form aggressive form of breast cancer I won't get into the technicalities of it all but um, there are certain markers they look for, and it's a percentage base, and, and mine is very aggressive. So they did what was called neoadjuvant chemo, which means we did the treatment first before surgery, so that way we tried to prevent spread. Um, and like Scott mentioned, um, through chemo and everything, I was able to have people with me until um, COVID came along. And I actually showed up one one week. Scott would always drop me off at the door. My... my um, infusions were on Tuesdays and he dropped me off at the door and then he would go park and he would come in and meet me and I actually walked in and didn't see a whole lot of people and they took my temperature and all that normal stuff and uh, he got stopped at the door they no longer allow visitors so um, I, I was able to have him until about the last maybe eight to ten rounds I'd say so. Um, and then I had to go alone after that. So after I finished that, um, I had an initial surgery, and the results from that showed that the chemo basically didn't help at all. 
that the tumor was still over um, two, just well, a little over two inches, which is what it was when I was initially diagnosed. And the, it was much more extensive in the lymph system than they thought. But that really didn't change anything as far as staging. They sent me to Cleveland Clinic for some additional um, advice. And it was there they decided it was best that I continue treatment because of the equipment and the training that they have. We just don't have that here in West Virginia. So while uh, we were up there when my back started hurting, and I thought I had heard it trying to do yoga, learn yoga. I was trying to teach myself yoga. <laughs> and I honestly thought I hurt my back trying to teach myself yoga. And, um, but it was persistent, so the doctors decided to order some additional testing just to be on the safe side. Um, even though at that time they did feel that I was cancer-free after the surgeries. And I was about 15 rounds into radiation when we found out it was in my spine, my sacrum, which is the tailbone, and in my left hip. And so at that time, they changed our radiation treatment. Um, I've had much more additional testing. I've had a bone biopsy on my spine. And, um, and so now I'm, I'm living with the stage four metastatic breast cancer. Oh, wow. Sorry. Well, it could be worse. Yeah. You also had that. Uh, was it a compression fracture? That oh yeah, I do have discovered. a. I have a compression fracture in the lumbar area. The cancer in my spine actually goes through from T10 all the way through the lumbar area, and then travels to the left hip, um, and then of course in, into the tailbone. So it was quite extensive. But radiation really helped a lot with the pain that I thought was yoga. Yeah. Um, and then I'm on maintenance medication now. I take several daily medications. I'm on a daily chemo pill. I take monthly injections. I have lab work every two weeks. I go every three months for infusions and then every few months for um, scans as well. When you're dealing with the metastatic cancer, typically it's symptom-based for recurrence when you're dealing with breast cancer. So if you feel a lump or if you have pain somewhere, they like to monitor based on symptoms. When you're dealing with the metastatic cancer, they use that, but they also use imaging to help um, to check for stabilization and spread. Or in our case, what we're praying for for our next scans is that tumors are shrinking, the bone right. lesions yeah, are shrinking. We are. So. So during this time, um, I'm gonna ask both of you all this question. How are you all um, coping mentally? Or what are some ways that you are coping mentally with this entire process? Well, my faith, you know, um, I go back to the, the story. I, I've used this so many a times, you know, there, and I don't know what the passage is, um, remembering the passage, but I, I remember seeing it on a movie, but there's two types of farmers and you have, you know, it's a drought. And there's one farmer that sits inside and says, I'm not going to go out there and work my fields. I'm not going to work my crops because it's not going to rain. And there's another farmer that's out there every single day, blood, sweat, and tears. He's preparing his fields for that miracle. So we're going to live our life, and we're going to, we're going to pray and have faith that there's going to be a miracle performed. And that's, you know, that's how we live. You had mentioned it earlier. We live each day, and we take each day to the fullest. You know, if anything... This treatment, or this treatment, this um, disease diagnosis, you know, it's made us closer. And I thought we were already as close as we could get. I mean, we're with our kids, especially during this COVID time, uh, with our kids. But we've learned a lot about each other, uh, a lot about our kids. Um, it's scary, but you know, our Lord, our our God can perform miracles, and I'm going to keep my faith in that. And um, 
my wife is a strong woman and I've known her all, I've known her majority of my life and you know there's not anybody else that that I would know I would want to go through this besides her because she's she's taken it taken it on with so much grace and um, I don't know I'm just proud of you thanks um, as far as coping from a patient standpoint um, there are several things I would say number one Scott try your faith well, no matter what you believe in, ours happens to be we're Christians, and we believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I truly believe that he has been with us every step of this. We're not sure what the reason is. Um, I don't question it. I'm not angry about it, but I know there's a reason behind it. Behind it. And um, I say all the time, if my testimony helps bring one person to Christ, then I know why, why we've had to go through this. And so I would say, first and foremost, our faith has absolutely been the, the main pillar that gets us through. Um, we pray, we read our Bibles. We don't just put faith in our faith, but we put faith in the promises that God has given us. I would say that is first. Secondly, um, you know, people say all the time, know your tribe, know who your support system is. We know our tribe. Um, hands down, we have been surrounded by nothing but goodness and graciousness and love. We have people praying for us, praying over us. Um, people who have brought meals. I mean, the, the minute I was diagnosed, Major Sherrod and Sergeant Sloan started a meal train. And we had more food than we knew what to do with um, coming to our house every single day. We have had donations. We have had people offer to mow our grass, to clean our house, to take me to Cleveland. Um, just the, the amount of support has been unreal from our work family, to our church family, to our friends, to our St. Albans community. We live in St. Albans. They just truly have rallied around us in every way I could ever say. Um, from selling wristbands, I, all the time I see people with these pink or green. I meant to, meant to wear mine. Yeah, <laughs> team Beth bands. And I'm like, oh, it just warms my heart. Yeah. And like I said, the mill train and um, a gal down in headquarters set up a GoFundMe and Ops Group just this weekend, they did their own fundraiser and, and presented us with that. And the fire department right now is selling these awesome pink shirts. Mm -hmm. I had no idea until um, um, Jimmy Cole said, sent me a picture on Facebook and I was like, oh my gosh, they're amazing. <laughs> and they're, they're really great and they have fire across the back and, mm -hmm. the, and the ribbon with Team Beth on it. And I, it just, this, our family has just never, we. I don't think you know until you go something through something like this just how amazing people really are and it gives you hope in humanity it shows you how God provides how he gives you exactly what you need when you need it and we've been like I said nothing but on the receiving end of, of goodness and so that's a lot of how you cope um, I'm not a super emotional person to sit in my room and cry and be angry and to shout and scream and it, it doesn't fix anything it doesn't do any good and the last thing I would say um, at least for me coping is having a positive attitude I, I read all these um, studies when you go through something like this you know 
knowledge is power and you really read about treatments and you read all these studies and and where they're going medical technology is amazing and where they're going with medicine and all these types of things and the one thing that they leave out of all of these studies are patients attitudes you know how are you going to approach this if if you think you're going to die then you're going to die and you know and that could be someone with stage one cancer i don't care what type of cancer it is but if you go into it going okay god's got me covered he sent me to the doctors that i need to see he has me in the right place and we're just going to fight this with everything we can i truly believe that makes a difference and I wish they would take attitude and, and um, people's positivity <laughs> into account. I know they can't medically speaking, but when you're dealing with things like this, it truly does make a difference. Um, you know, we tell people all the time, people, and I get this probably the number one question I get, what's your prognosis? What's your chance of beating this? And I'm like, hundred uh, percent. And they're right. like, really? And I'm like, well, I mean, medically speaking, I don't know. I've never asked. No one's told me and I haven't asked. I don't, it doesn't matter to me what a doctor tells me my prognosis is. Cause like Scott said, at this point, you know, we're just waiting on a miracle. Right. And um, so I'm going to get healing one way or another, whether it's here or through heaven. So that's how we cope. Yeah. That's really good. Um, so I know you're actually with your diagnosis and your treatment, and you talked about this a little bit earlier about um, COVID. You're probably in that area where, you know, the pre-COVID, post-COVID things. Correct. So can you talk a little bit about, like, how you had to, um, um, how has it affected, like, how you go through life now? Well, I will say pre-COVID was pretty great because, you know. <laughs> For all of us. Yes. <laughs> Treatment-wise, I was able to take my husband with me or um, my mother-in-law came in. She's actually a nurse, so she would come in and she would go with me, with Scott. Scott never missed a single treatment. Um, like he said, even post-COVID, he would sit in the parking lot. He would drop me off and go sit in the parking lot. And I'd say, go get breakfast, go get coffee. Nope, I am not leaving you. And my treatments were pretty long. Um, my first four rounds, I was usually there about eight hours a day. So um, the last... 12 i was only there about four hours but you know there it's it's not a short process these infusions aren't so pre-covid was nice because you really had your support system with you and it's really important to have a good support system i don't know how people could ever go through this alone uh, but having someone there even though physically they aren't doing anything they keep you distracted they talk to you you know if you're not off they can kind of nudge you before when the nurse is on her way things like that it's just really nice to have those distractions because um, nothing about it is easy. I'm not going to lie. Cancer is, is it's hard. Um, and like I mentioned, when COVID hit, I didn't know I couldn't have a visitor with me. The week, the week prior, they had gone to a one, CAMC had gone to a one visitor per patient policy. So Scott was the only person going with me. And then um, when we showed up that following Tuesday and I had to go it alone, um, I was okay. It wasn't that I wasn't okay, but it was just different. So we would text a lot. My brothers were great to text me, you know, friends, people would FaceTime me and things like that. I could still do all of that. But when you have headphones in and a nurse is trying to talk to you, it doesn't work yeah. quite as well. Um, so really the last several months, and even my surgery, Scott had to drop me off at the hospital and sit in a parking lot. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a big deal when you're having these surgeries. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it's it's different. And I just kept thinking the first my first week, I kind of felt really sorry for myself that I was alone. And then it hit me about halfway through. Here I am sitting here whining and complaining to myself and probably to Scott that I'm alone. And then I thought, well, at least this isn't my first round. What if I was by myself for the very first time? And you really have to look at those patients and, and pray for them and all that they're going through having to do it alone because it is scary. Um, so as far as COVID on a continual basis, we're very, very careful. We avoid large groups. Um, even like if we go to church, we sit on the back row, we don't shake hands. We Now our church has things very socially distanced. You can't, like the pew in front of us, people can't sit there. It's every other one and things like that. But um, we really avoid large crowds, um, close contact with people. Our kids don't have friends over. They don't really go to friends' houses. Um, uh, a lot like other people, you know, good hand washing. Our kids were doing that anyways. They come in from practices or school or wherever and wash their hands, wash their face, change their clothes. We've kept that up, and we were doing it before just because we had to be careful because of cancer. Now we really have to be careful right. because of COVID. Um, so thankfully, we've all stayed very healthy. Uh, now that we're getting treatment in Cleveland and we're there very often, they do have a one-visitor policy or one visitor per patient policy, I'm sorry. So Scott's able to go in with me, which is very nice for like my medical oncology appointments. When I had infusions um, last month, was it last month? Yes, he was able to go in with me. So it's really nice to have that support system back. It's, you know, it's, it's hard. And, and I'm very thankful that hospitals are opening it up for parents to go with their kids. And, and you know, it's not easy. So I'm thankful that your people support system are able to be there no matter what they're going through, not just cancer. Right. right. So that's pretty much all the questions that I have. Um, do y'all have any remaining thoughts? You had touched base on this earlier and the, oh, I just want to thank, um, I don't know who I was going to get to listen to this, but the support that we've received from the West Virginia national guard, army and air has been, has been amazing and we're in the right place um, as far as uh, work goes the support the people I mean you know we hear it all the time <clears throat> the guard is a family and this has truly brought that to light for us and and we have people praying for us and the donations and the support um, you know because we still have a job to do and I know Beth would she would get done with chemo and then go make her calls to her families when she's probably should be resting or sleeping, but she cares about the people of this unit so much. So she's making these calls. I'm like, go lay down. And she's like, no, I, I want to make sure so-and-so knows that the, the, they've been delayed or they're coming here. You know, she's always put this, this place first, but it's because of the people. Mm -hmm. Why, you know, she feels compelled to do that because of the relationships that she's built. And I'm the same way, you know, I'd sit in the parking lot. Thank goodness for VPN. I'm able to get my work done but it's because I feel like I owe that to this place because they've been so good to me. But if I have anything um, left, it's just to, to say thank you for all, all the folks that have given us support. And um, and, and in closing, uh, you're one of the toughest people I've ever met. I, I'm serious and I can't, I won't get emotional on here and I'm not an emotional person either, but I'm so proud of you and uh, and the example you've set for our, for our kids and you don't look at me, you don't look at us and go, oh me, oh pitiful me. You take this thing, and I've said the word grace before, and you've handled it with grace, and I, I, I'm just, 
I just love you to death, and I know you're going to get that miracle. And um, I don't know, just proud of you, and I love you. Thank you. Um, I would mimic what Scott says. Thank you. Uh, Like he said, this wing, the West Virginia National Guard have just really been over backwards to be good to us in every way. And we can never, I wish we could individually thank every single person or we could ever repay all the kindness. We will try our hardest until our last breath to repay. And I don't necessarily mean monetarily, but paying it forward and doing what others have done for us. Um, people have just truly been amazing. And I guess the other thing I would say is, uh, ladies, make sure you're doing your regular exams. Breast cancer also affects men, and there's nothing to be ashamed of for men in that. And so um, definitely get checked. When ladies are of age 35 to 40, they should be getting their annual mammograms. Early detection is key. Um, most aren't in the situation I am. The type of cancer I have, it's very rare for it to metastasize. So, um, most aren't going to be in that situation. So ladies, do your exams, get your mammograms, encourage your teenage daughters and teach them how to do self-breast exams. And uh, if you don't want to do it, husbands, check your wives, you know, giving you a little bit of a green light, a thumbs up, a (laughs) wink, wink here. But, you know, go ahead and and just make sure that, that you are getting checked. Most, to be honest, most bumps and lumps that women find are not cancerous. You know, there are many, many blocked ducts and, and benign tumors and, and things that, that women get, but just always, always get them checked. I'm so thankful Scott encouraged me to just go ahead and make the appointment because like I said, like a mom, I would have put it off for months yeah. going, oh, it's just nothing. And um, and he, he really said, no, you're not going to do that this time. I've seen you do it for our whole lives, don't put this off. And I'm really thankful he encouraged me to do that. So ladies, take care of yourselves. You wouldn't you know, let your kids go without a vaccine or a doctor's appointment. So just make sure that you're taking care of yourselves. And thank you for having us. Oh, thank you for, okay. for being here. Um, I personally, I can attest, especially to Beth's heart. I mean, when I was deployed in 2018, she made a point to call my parents every single month. And they absolutely like, they loved that. Mm-hmm. So like, I really, I'm really praying for a year, for a miracle. Thank you. Because you're special to all of us. Thank you. You really are. So thank you both again for being on the show. No problem. And that's gonna do it for this episode of The Drop. For more information about the 130th Early Fling, visit us on the web at www.130aw.ang.af.mil. Additionally, you can find us on all major social media platforms. Lastly, you can see us in the skies delivering freedom with courage. This is Master Sergeant Dewana Haley reminding you to stay ready to go.